Welcome to the Redbird Report, coming to you from the Vedette Office's final episode, I believe, of this semester, guys. Finals week coming up. This will be the last one up until 2018, so a lot to get to on today's episode. All right, we sit in the Vedette Offices on Illinois State's campus. I'm sitting alongside Vedette Sports Editors Mike Mara and Nate Head. Guys, how you doing? Oh, wonderful. It's a great Sunday. Always a good Sunday when we get to record a little podcast, right? Great to be here. We were just watching the uh, women's team. They, uh, Illinois State women's team just defeated Eastern Michigan literally moments before we recorded this. And, guys, if I told you when, before the season started, now we have to keep in mind the women's team has played, I think, what would be described as a much easier schedule than the men's team. But still, if I told you the women's team would have a better overall record than the men's team sitting here on December 10th, would you have believed me? I might have laughed in your face. No, okay, I'm being a little harsh there. That's... Uh, I just would, I would not have believed you. I would have found it hard to believe for the reason that this team. I mean, it kind of seems like it, the men's team is kind of you know going through a little in-season rebuild, but the women's basketball team is, is doing a program rebuild right now. And the one thing that I know we mentioned before we came on air, Tom, was the fact that. Chris and Gillespie's gotten these girls to buy in on, on both ends of the floor. They're off. That's the it's, really the, it's really the defensive end. She she I think she evaluated this team in the offseason, looked at what they had, and realized, to be frank, this is the team that last year really struggled offensively, didn't have an identity, and she said, our identity is we're going to be defense. We're going to buy in on the defensive end. We're going to give 100% effort on defense. We're going to try to hold opposing teams to 40 points, and if we score 45, that'll be enough to win games. Uh, and it's, it's worked pretty well so far. Again, the schedule schedule has been fairly soft for them, but a pretty good effort up in Milwaukee a few nights ago where they fell just short against UW-Milwaukee, and now today a win over Eastern Michigan. And, you know, Simone Good's not playing, and this is they have a highly touted recruiting class coming next year. It looks like she has the program trending in the right direction. Yeah, every da- every time that team takes the floor, it seems like Larry Lyons made the right choice with Kristen Gillespie, and uh, this is going to be a good team. I mean, you're going to lose Hannah Green at the end of this year, but obviously you still have her for the remainder of this season, but... I don't know if you're going to miss Hannah Green as much as people think due to the fact that, I mean, Kristen Gillespie's staff has gone out and recruited very, very well. And, I mean, that's I don't think that's going to stop, especially with this program trending upward. And I think the biggest thing for her recruiting-wise is if she can show a positive result in this first season, even being around the 500 mark after the previous years, you know, maybe seven Valley wins, you know, 7-11 the Valley, something like that, and an overall round 500 record, that would be, I think, a big boon to recruiting because you could see recruits already would say, all right, this program's already heading in the right direction. I want to get there and I want to get involved. Uh, it's you know it's hard to sell rebuilds sometimes because people wonder how long it's going to take, but if you can show you're already taking steps in the right direction, that's a big step forward. And the other thing about this team is every game they've played, whether they've won or lost, it's been respectable. And I mean, that's the one thing that the, the last year's team lacked. I mean, they would play Indiana State, who you know was 500 all season long, and then they'd lose by 25. Then they'd play. To be fair, they did win in the in the uh, conference tournament over Indiana State. That's that was right. that was there. their that's that was right. their biggest win of that's the season. Right. You were there, and and you know what? Give them credit. I mean, then, then, the next, then, then the next day they actually hung around a little bit, a little bit better than I think most teams expected to. First half, they really they really put up a good fight against a pretty good Drake team. Yeah, and I honestly think that this team's only. Big losses are probably going to come against you and I and Drake. Outside of that, I think they're going to be pretty competitive all season. Be interesting to watch for sure, and we'll keep you abreast of what happens in 2018 with the women's basketball team. But we turn our attention to the main entree here on campus, and it's the Illinois State men's basketball team. And I love an entree. We have two very different opinions in this room from the two vedette sports editors, Mike Mara. He's 
Feeling a little down on this team after a loss yesterday to Murray State. Phil Fain did not play. Malik Yarborough, incredible. Uh, really kind of realized what he could be. I think what we all thought, you know, at times we saw. He put it together, had a complete game, but still not enough for the Redbirds. They fall short against Murray State. Nate having on the side. I think he has the feeling of a lot of Redbird fans and a lot of Redbird fans I've talked to really think this team's just a couple pieces away from being a Missouri Valley Championship contender. Uh, Nate, I'll let you start since we, we've just heard from Mike a decent amount. Uh, take us through what you see from this team, starting with the loss yesterday to Murray State, but just looking forward at this ISU team. Yeah, I'm definitely not as negative as uh, Mike is on this team right now. Uh, first 10 games, 4-6. and six. Um, I would have predicted better than that going into the season. But, you know, it's just a tough start. And, and at this point, like you mentioned, there's some pieces that need to come back. Um, there's some guys who need to get more familiar with the system. And I, I think it's going to happen. And, and, and referring to that Murray State game, they were a good team. I mean, the Racers, they came out, they played well, they played fast. And ISU, you know, came out quick out of the gates and then kind of really struggled towards the end of the first half, which I think has been a, a recurring problem for this team, is they go through these stretches of just the stagnancy on offense where nothing's fallen or it just doesn't seem like they look comfortable in their sets. I, I think they finished the last 11 minutes of the first half with only two field goals. Um, that's an obvious problem. And so that's something that needs to be, you know, shored up. And, and they need to find other scorers other than, you know, the big, th- really the big three of Fane, Yarborough, and uh, Keyshawn Evans. You know, because when one of those guys are, you know, off the floor, for example, Fane yesterday, or if, you know, one of them's having a bad night like Keyshawn, you see the impact that just one or two guys makes on the team rather than a more, you know, balanced scoring attack. And I think that will come along with time. I think there's a couple guys that are going to emerge as more reliable scorers than they have so far. So, yeah, I mean, I, I cautiously am optimistic. Yeah, I mean, I think yesterday we saw the trouble with that big three. When they're on, they're the, I think the Redbirds are a very good team, but Keyshawn Evans had a, a few games after a, really a superhuman start. He was shooting, you know, at one point, I think 55% from three. Obviously, that was not a trend that was going to continue for the rest of the season. Guy couldn't miss. Yeah. The guy was pulling up. You, you could put four guys in his face. Think about that Tulsa Army. game. You know, you could the put first up. Tulsa game. Oh, yeah. For, I mean, he was hitting things. He was pulling up from the ocean. He was pulling He was. He could not miss. No, yeah. and Especially that weekend at Myrtle Beach, he was really, really incredible. I think the, the thing that people need to realize is, you know, a great start for Keyshawn, but there's no way you sustain that for an entire season. I did say I thought he could sustain the scoring. I didn't think he could sustain the pace. I thought he could average maybe not 22, but maybe 18 or 19 a game. Uh, You know, maybe one less less three-pointer a a contest. Uh, And the scoring's definitely slowed down a little bit. That's, I think, been a problem for the Redbirds because they they really need scoring out of that front, uh, out of that backcourt. And if it's not coming from him, you know, I like Madison Williams. I'm a big Madison Williams fan, but ever since it, last year, you were big on. I mean, I remember. I, I was a big. It was probably what like January last year, and you. Looked, I was. We pro- had a conversation. You're like, I'm in on the Madison train. So I was. Know, a propo- you were. You were the original Madison Williams guy. I was a proponent of him getting more minutes last season, even when, you know, obviously that team had a lot of players in the backcourt. They didn't necessarily need him. Uh, <laughs> now this this year, this team needs him, and I do think. He's probably a guy that can, does it seem like at this point, can contribute much more than 9 to 10 points a, a, a game. You know, that's probably his, his max on a good day. Um, the good, the good, the upside is he can play some pretty good defense. He can do some other things for you, but scoring. Very good defense. And I just to cut in real quick, something I've noticed from Madison watching these, you know, first 10 games of the season or whatever, 
I've been really impressed by the you know the energy he brings out in the court, the hustle, the things that aren't necessarily on the box score. Um, but the things on the box score, I, I think he has to lead the team in steals, I would imagine. And, you know, he's always crashing the boards whenever he can. Loose balls will be on the floor. Uh, so I really like the way he plays. And, and he can make a three ball. I mean, he can step out. They, they can all pretty much shoot on the team. So um, I'd like to see his, you know, efficiency from scoring, you know, kind of increase a little bit. But other than that, I, I've been, yeah, definitely impressed with uh, Madison so far. And just because Madison, I, we agree. I think he's been he's played well, but he's never going to be a top scoring option on this team. I think ideally you'd like him to be probably the fourth option offensively, maybe even the fifth option, and you know be a guy that can hit some threes, can do some stuff, but never be the main option. Uh, at least at this point in his career. But the the real concern has been Tinsley. Uh, he didn't even start yesterday. And I think it was a smart move from Mueller trying to, you know, wake him out of what's been a very bad early season funk. And he responded pretty well yesterday. Three to seven from deep. Had nine points, all of them coming from the three ball. And if it's he not a big one, he had a big one down that stretch with to pull within two. I mean, that's a big time shot, especially for a guy who, I mean. What he came in yesterday shooting eighteen percent. Yeah, I mean that's a big shot for a guy who's shooting eighteen percent. And the biggest thing for him, uh, you look at him, and if it's not going to come from Keyshawn in that backcourt, it's got to come from him. You know they were really expecting. Look back to the Quincy game. You know that really raised the expectations for Tinsley. I think he had twenty in that one. Uh, again, uh, excuse me, and. Lewis. 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 Yes. Lewis, Lewis. Yeah, sorry. The, the, getting my Division two teams confused. Yes. In the opening uh, exhibition against Lewis, he played really, really phenomenally, really shot the ball really well at home, uh, and that raised the expectations, and he has not been able to live up to that expectations since then, and that's put a lot of pressure on Keyshawn Evans, and I think he's starting to feel that. Of course, the guy that I'm sure all the Redbird fans are, are screaming for us to talk about is Elijah Clarence. He could probably solve a lot of these problems if he comes back and is a player that people expect him to be. But I always say this. He is just a freshman, and he's played, what, two career minutes now? I mean, this is a lot of expectations. Three. three. Oh, I'm Give sorry. him an extra 60 seconds, Tom. Give him an extra 60. I apologize. Give him the 60 he deserves. So he's played three minutes. Now he's ready to go. Two minutes, no. He was. He couldn't be. Couldn't you don't be know how strenuous that one minute was. I don't know because he hasn't played since then. <laughs> Apparently, it was very strenuous for him. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> that extra 60 seconds, we haven't seen him since. Um, well, obviously, he's got those blisters that, you know, from what I'm hearing, you know, John Munn has said they're the worst blisters he has seen in his entire athletic training career. And, like, it, he says it's pretty bad. He says, you know, you don't want to call blisters super serious, but, you know, these are some serious blisters. Um, the problem with that is. I mean, you you get rid of the stress fracture, but the blisters are going to be a thing that, you know, you can have a recurring problem with that. And that you'd hope that that's not the case, and I think that's why we haven't seen him because, I mean, he did go in and play against Charleston Southern with the blisters, and he was limping around a little bit. And I, you know, this was before Muller came out and said that it was the blisters, so I thought, you know, maybe he's playing like at 90%. Maybe that foot's still bothering him, but it, it was due to the blisters. But I'll tell you what, in warm-ups, and I get their warm-ups, and in those three minutes – Elijah Clarence does look like the real deal. I mean, he just looks like he's got this basketball IQ that is right up there with Malik Yarborough, and I think this guy's going to make a difference. However, I don't, I don't know how much of a difference he's going to make, as you know, we talked about early on. The question I, is how much of a difference he's going to make this season. My issue with Elijah Clarence right now comes, and I, I talked about this with a couple other people, and I've had a, you know, a few other people agree with me, but... The issue with Elijah Clarence that I believe is he demanded the ball in the, in the three minutes he played. He demanded the ball 
to bring the ball up and I mean of the three minutes he played you know again fairly speaking say they're on offense for a minute and a half of that he had the ball in his hand for about a hundred or for a minute and 20 seconds of that so I mean he's a guy that's going to want the ball but we've seen how Malik Yarborough I mean he will tell Keyshawn or whoever the point guard is to go up the floor and take the ball up I don't know if you know is Malik going to really let a freshman do that I think there's going to there might be a, a, a you know I, conflict there. I don't. I mean, I, I want to get Nate involved because I saw he had some strong off mic reactions. He was looking at me. I know he wants to get involved. I do want to say though, before we get to Nate, uh, Clarence did say when he committed to ISU, it was part of his part of the reason was his chemistry with Malik Yarborough. Uh, he he that was one of the things he pointed uh, out in a couple different articles. So definitely, I think that. Well, I understand that concern. I do think they'll probably be able to work it out because it does seem like those two guys understand each other and get along on the basketball floor pretty well from what I've heard people practice. Nate, Elijah Clarence, what are we thinking? Um, yeah, first to clarify the you know the, the looks where it looks sounded like there was a cage fight going on in the newsroom, so I was just curious <laughs> on what was going on out there. Anyways, my it's thoughts, final season. People yeah, are desperate. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, Elijah, I, I think I'm looking forward to him you know getting in rotation with these guys. i like to see him become the, you know, the main guy to take over the ball. I like when Keyshawn can do it, and I like when Malik does it, but I think their game would be better suited, especially Evans, if he could just kind of post out and look for his shots off a screen or something rather than being the primary ball handler. Uh, Malik, you know, Mike mentioned the uh, you know how those two are going to blend together. That will be interesting because it's no secret Malik wants the ball. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. And so, yeah, I... I'm intrigued to see how that'll play, and I asked uh, Coach Muller about that after last night's game, and you know he wasn't prepared to you know announce like a timetable or anything like that, but you know he says very soon, and and he kept on you know repeating that, and I asked maybe if there's a chance he plays at Ole Miss, and he said um, you know they very well could, uh, referring to David as well, and he said that he thought they maybe even play today, so they got to be right around the corner. I obviously have not seen these blisters, but. Um, I would imagine that Elijah, if he doesn't play in Ole Miss, I bet he plays um, like the next game because I think he'll be back soon. I, I do think you know, it's always tough to predict with these things, and Dan Muller could just be trying to throw Ole Miss and other teams off the scouting report and make them scout for players that might not play. So it's difficult to know. But let's play into the assumption that these guys return sooner rather than later, whether it's Ole Miss, whether it's UIC, whether it's in early Valley play, Evansville, Indiana State, one of those contests. Uh, what do we think of this team with David Njai and with Elijah Clarence, assuming that everyone else on this team right now stays healthy? And that probably off the top means less minutes for Gasman and Hine and Litwiller and some of the guys that I know that Pete and, and John Martin, uh, people that you know, people have been concerned that maybe they're getting too many minutes. That could solve at least some of those problems. I think with those guys back, I think it changes the dynamic of this team a little bit. Uh, I will admit I'm not a very big you know proponent of David Njai. I don't think he brings as much of a presence as I think Redbird fans are hoping for. A lot of people I've talked to think that he's going to come back and all of a sudden they're going to start you know going plus on the rebound battle and I, they're just not. I mean let's just let's just face it. Uh, you know for two years now David's 
you know, come to Illinois State, and I think people have had high expectations for him. I mean, when you get a seven-footer, I mean, you're expecting a guy who can score in the post, grab boards, be a rim protector. David checks not even not even score in the post. I think just getting putbacks and dongs and pick and correct, roll score. Get easy buckets around around the rim. And David checks one of those three boxes, and that's a rim protector. He doesn't score very often. He doesn't grab many boards. I mean, in his two years here, he's averaged four four rebounds a game. You're seven feet tall. I, grab boards. And I, and, and I think the the play I keep, what I keep going back to, is last year at Arch Madness when it was the championship game. Paris Lee gave a, a, just a dime right to David, and instead of going to dunk it, it was an easy bucket. Nobody around him. David goes to lay it in, and he misses. And Paris said, dunk the, you know, not going to say it, can't say it, but dunk the ball. And that is just the epitome of, that is the story of David Njai's career at Illinois State so far. Is We've seen how he can play. He's not a guy that you can run the floor with. He's got trouble getting up and down the floor. So I think, you know, I don't think David's going to make much of a factor. Elijah, on the other hand, I think is going to play a big role. I mean, I think Elijah's a guy who, Dan said it yesterday, He's a guy who's going to come in, and he's going to have to earn his minutes. He's not going to start right away, and I think he's going to earn his way. I think he's going to make his way into the starting role. I think it's, you know, you look at the starting five, I, I, it, it's kind of hard for me to not see him starting at some point in the season, especially if he is as, you know, ad, is as advertised. Um, I, I think they're good. I think they'll contend in the Valley. You know, obviously, the non-conference slate, you only have two games left. So, I mean, you know, I think you start shifting over to Valley play a little bit here soon. But uh, as far as Valley plays, if, if they get Elijah and David healthy, um, you know, they're going to be able to contend. But this is also a Valley that people were a little bit down on it to start the year. And, and I think the Valley's going to be a little bit better than people expected. And they're going to need to be healthy. Valley's been much better than people expected. Fifth conference in RPI right now. They've done some really in- impressive things in the non-conference. You look at UNI's run in the Battle for Atlantis all the way to the championship. Loyola's win over Florida at Florida. You know, there's been some really impressive stuff that the Valley has done this season. I do want to mention you mentioned a lot about David Njai, and I, I'm someone I you know I prepare for the basketball games. I do a lot of play-by-play. And I was doing my preparation one day, and I, you know, you prepare for David Njai because you, it's you don't not, see him. It's been unclear if he was going to play or not, so I just prepared for him like anyone else. And my note on him was he's never scored more than nine points in a game. He averaged four rebounds a game, and he shot 43% from the field. All of those are very concerning as a seven-footer. Now, having said all of that, there is no doubt this team needs an inside presence. And I do think that... Even though I, I'm not a huge proponent of David Njai, and I think you know he's definitely being maybe perhaps overrated by some Redbird fans, there's no doubt that he can, he can't hurt this team at this point because of the lack of size they have, because of the lack of an inside presence. Uh, you know, we the team people are looking for him to take that jump. Maybe he does that this season. If he could average something like five points a game, six boards, two blocks, you know, in 22 minutes of contest, that would be huge. Uh, and that would really help the Redbirds, and I think that's what Redbird fans are hoping for. Uh, Nate, when you look at NGI and uh, you look at Clarence, what are you expecting from them moving forward? Um, yeah, so looking at those two guys, I think first starting with Elijah is I think one thing he's definitely going to bring is another scoring threat. He looks like he can get to the basket and he can finish. Um, that's just based on not warm-ups, but mostly just like his film and you know in those three minutes he just looks quick even with those blisters i can only imagine you know his second gear without it so anyways um yeah with Njai, i think 
yeah, I, I think you guys were right on right on the nose there. I, I don't think he's gonna come in and score, but I'm just really looking forward to seeing some you know size out there from this from this Redbird team. You know, sometimes without Phil Fain, it's you have like Malik Arbrose, like the tallest person on the team, and then you have Taylor Berninga, who yeah, he's tall, but he's not physical even enough at all. Yeah, the guy was in, the guys. guy was a high school player six months ago. He doesn't have yeah. the strength or just the body build right now to play inside. Well, the one thing I'm gonna before we get off topic about what well, we're talking about Berninga. Tom, I'll never forget when we were looking at again. You were prepping for the Tulsa game. We looked at Berninga's high school stats. He wasn't even a good defender in high school. No offense to the guy, but he was not. At, I mean, he didn't. I think he averaged one point four blocks a game at, at six foot eight, and you know, a, a, at the, the two way level in Illinois. You're the tallest two way player. I mean, you know, obviously, I don't know much two way basketball. I'm telling you right now, the teams they're playing. I mean, one point four blocks. I mean, and, and you've seen. You've seen how I think the number that was concerning to me though, and I said this to you, uh, he had something like he had averaged less than assist a, less than an assist a game. It was something like he had twenty nine assists in twenty two games. It was no, I'm sorry, like nineteen assists in twenty two games. It was some number where you know he because he was averaging thirty three twelve. I thought at some point you even just maybe just try to go for a triple double, but he had 19 assists the whole season. So I think he's definitely we we've seen flashes from him, and he's a guy that if he could take that step and become a huge contributor, would be really valuable to this team. But it seems like he's probably a year away from being a complete basketball player just because of the high school level. He was not asked to pass, he wasn't asked to defend as much, and now he has to do both of those things at a really high level to play. He, he the the big thing that I think with him is he's just got to get in the weight room. You give him a whole off season to lift, and I, I think he's going to be a real special player. But speaking of getting in the weight room, that's something that people have wanted to see David Njai do. I know we keep going back to David. That's what people have said for the last two three off seasons now since David's been on campus. Get this kid in the weight room, and he hasn't put on much weight. And the one thing I will say is we talk about how big he is. The one thing that I know Josh and I talked about last year, obviously referring to Josh Noltino, the former sports editor here at the Vedette, up until that NIT game against UCF, obviously they, you know, UCF had Taco Fall. And so we're like, is David going to start? Do we think David's going to start? That was a big debate. We're like, if he starts, that shows you that those two are going to, you know, that's how you're going to defend Taco Fall, is you're going to go seven foot on seven foot. Tip-off, it was Phil Fain and Taco Fall. David Njai didn't play very much in that game, and I think that just tells you the testament of, of David Njai. I mean, when you have a seven-footer, you know, you, you, and you can't negate the other seven-footer with yours, I just don't think very highly of that. That's just that's just me, though. So now we turn our attention to the next month. Uh, obviously, we won't be able to be on this podcast, so follow Nate and follow Mike. Guys, what are your Twitter handles just so people can follow your Redbird thoughts? Mike Mara, Ilstu. And mine is uh, at, don't forget the at sign, bro. Yeah, you're right. Um, at NateHead51. Can't find me without the at, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Don't at me, though. Adam, a- Adam. Uh, mine's at T Price. I don't tweet as much about Redbird Hoops, but I, I'll, I'll tweet once in a while about Redbird Hoops as well. Um, Usually, you're like a guy who, if they're doing very good, or if it's like oh, so time to press the pa- no, no, then he, then you got to press the panic button. You're like if Tom Prizman's tweeting about a team, it's either trending very really positive good, or very negative. Correct, which is I love it. I, I you know whenever you see T Prizman hit hit the timeline, it's like okay, uh, something's of, getting real. One of my few tweets this year has been about the fact that in the Myrtle Beach tournament that uh, Lit Willer and Hine outscored and out rebounded Yarbrough and Tinsley in a game that was concerning uh, to say the least. Uh, I think the one thing the Redbird fans are hoping is that with the com- with the comebacks of, of 
Njai and the comeback of Clarence that you will see less, no offense to either player of Hine or Litwiller. Um, one thing one thing I do want to talk about briefly is Jerron Martin. He's another guy that you know looks like he's not going to be a big impact on this team. Really got some minutes early in the season. Played pretty well at Nevada. I think he had seven points. Mm-hmm. But since, he actually was one of the bright spots. But since then, really hasn't seen much minutes. Didn't see much, I think he's played nine minutes yesterday. Uh, below Matt Hine, and doesn't seem like he's going to be a big contributor going forward for this ISU team. Uh, guys, when we look at the next month, I'll just go through the schedule very briefly. Uh, at Old Miss, home for UIC, at Evansville, home for Indiana State, at Drake, and then a really difficult stretch right before students come back to campus, home for Missouri State, home for Loyola, at Southern. Uh, what do we expect in the next month or so from this ISU team? Uh, well, obviously you start with you know, a, a, a good Ole Miss team. I won't say really good. They're 4-4. Four and four. Uh, As we mentioned, uh, or I should say we talked about off-air, was the fact that this Ole Miss team went to Middle Tennessee and lost by 19. I mean, Middle Tennessee is one of the best mid-major programs around. I mean, you're not going to get much better than Middle Tennessee. Um, but I think the next month and a half, I think... Of course, Middle Tennessee, for Redbird fans, did beat Reggie Lynch and the Minnesota Golden Gophers last year in the tournament. Um they did. I, I think that that busted my bracket a little bit. I was I was kind of big on Minnesota. I don't why. Know why. You know, I think Middle Tennessee was a favorite going into that game. You know, in Vegas, I think they were. That was that was a twelve five game. That was everyone was picking Middle Tennessee, and then they they kind of blew them out. See, I was going with the. I was like, there's no way they're going to crumble. I was like, they're a little mid major. They're like the little. No, no, they're gonna they're gonna crumble. Nope, they're not. But you know, obviously we're wrong. We're not going back on that. Though. We're not going back to last March. Anyway, ask my college bracket was wasn't good. It was great. It was perfect. Even with that, even with that loss, yeah, I was still perfect. Even with the loss, it was still perfect. Even, <laughs> um, but this next month and a half, these guys just need to regroup, and I still think they're trying to find an identity. I don't think they've found it yet. I think whatever identity they do have is gonna. The big part of that identity is gonna be Malik Yarborough. I think whatever successes they have this season are gonna be due in large part to Malik Yarborough. As far as, I think you got to wipe out. The non-conference schedule here. I think the next two games that you have, you have Ole Miss and UIC. I think even if you even if you would play without Phil Fane, I still think you beat UIC. UIC is a, a down program, you know. For years now, UIC's, you know, they're kind of like DePaul. Every year they think they're, you know, going to be up on the rise and, you know, you know, takes take the horizon by storm, and it just doesn't happen. Uh, and they've struggled here this year so far. So I mean, UIC is kind of a wash. When you look at the val- the beginning of the Valley play. I think you can easily win the first three, and then you're looking at Missouri State and Loyola, and that's a tough schedule. So I think as long as you can at least take two of the first five Valley games, I think you're good. Three of five, realistically, but the issue here is you still don't know where you're going to be at health-wise. If they're healthy, then we're changing that. Then they they'll open up Valley play in December 23rd, and so it's, pretty early start. Yeah, and, and so that's the only concerning thing is how healthy they're going to be. For the next month, I think you got to get healthy, and if you're healthy, it changes this, you know probably the outlook of the rest of the season. And as we mentioned, I am was a little bit negative on this team, but we're also forgetting. I did predict this team to lose five non-conference games and then five games in Valley play. I mean, obviously they're one over right now on the non-conference schedule, but I picked them to finish 13 and five in the Valley, go to Arch Madness, and make the NCAA tournament by obviously taking Arch Madness and winning on Sunday. So I, right now, I think they're down, and I think right now that's all you can do is, is you know see what you know 
that that's just what I've seen from them. But I, I'm sticking to it. I really I, I am. I think they're going to turn this thing around. But for now, I think you got to be really cautious. And optimism is good. But for right now, you can't let this thing spiral out of control. Before we get to Nate, do you think they're a contender for the Missouri Valley Conference Championship? The I regular season title. No, for the, for the Arch Madness yes, title. Yes, I still believe. I I still believe they're. I, they're going to be one of those Final Four teams on Saturday. They're going to be playing in a semifinal. And obviously, I, I think UNI is very good. I think if they don't play – I think they get to Sunday if they don't play UNI. If, if they play anybody else on Saturday, and obviously we don't know how the, the schedule ends up. They might play UNI on Friday. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, the problem is, is if, if they don't match up with you and I until the final, I think they get to Sunday again. This is a team that's been to the or been to the Arch Madness Championship five times, gone over five. Uh, I think if they get there this year, I think they'll do it. Um, I think they're in contention. I think the regular season title's out. I don't think they're going to contend for the regular season title just because. Again, I think you and I is going to be very, very good. Um, but as far as Arch Madness goes, I think they're going to be a contender. I think they. I, I do. I think they go down there and win it. Nate, now we turn to you. When you look at the next month, what do you expect out of this ISU team? Mike, a little bit more down to them. You've been a little bit more positive. What are we expecting? Uh, I think they're going to do very well, to be honest. I think they're going to win these next two games, for starters. I think this Ole Miss one's going to look good at the end of the season. Um, although Ole Miss isn't, you know, a, you know, an elite team or anything crazy like that. It's just one that kind of, you know, looks good. Um, so, yeah, I see them taking care of Ole Miss as well as UIC. Um and then get into Valley play, like Mike said, I think that first stretch of the games is crucial because they're kind of the lighter opponents, and it's just nice for them to you know kind of ease. Their, I hate to say they're easing their way into it, but just to kind of get their feet wet in Valley. Um, so I think it's going to go well. I'm not ready to you know throw a prediction in terms of record, just because I'm curious to see when these guys are going to come back. So until that point, uh, we're not really going to know. So. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be you know generally a, a pretty positive run for the Redbirds. Uh, the one thing I'm going to ask is, do we know if uh, Marshall Henderson's still at Ole Miss? <laughs> is he going to make an appearance? I, is he I making be- an appearance next Saturday? I believe, and I think this is true, I believe he's playing in Iraq. So I, I don't think he's available. Oh, wow, that's well, unfortunate. Well. <laughs> I remember when he flamed Wisconsin like a few years ago in the tournament. Oh, yeah, the big Wisconsin guy over so, here. <laughs> after that, he's pretty much just you know out of sight and way out of mind. Before we sign off, Nate, are the Redbirds a contender for the Arch Madness title? Oh, Sitting yeah. here on on December 10th. Yep, you can book it. Arch Madness. <laughs> here we come. Well, obviously they're going to go. You, you know that everyone goes to oh, Arch no, Madness. I said March. Oh, I all right, March. Because Michael and I will be there as well to you know watch this team. Oh, all right. So we, we, we looked at the regionals. Have fun in Sacramento. I think that's where the Redbirds end up if they make Perfect. the tournament. <laughs> all right. Uh, and I'll give you my quick prediction. I picked them to go 5-7 and seven, the non-conference. So if they split these You're next right two, wow. you are right on par. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I did have them winning the Murray State game. I had them going 1-2 and two in Myrtle Beach. But other than that, I've had pretty much every game on we were, pre- we were We were pretty close. as We we broke down the schedule together. When we when the schedule came I think it wasn't when the schedule came out, but when the, before the season started, we sat down and went game by game, and we were pretty close in the non-con. Obviously, Valley plays where we differentiate a little bit, but at non-conference-wise, I had them at five losses, and you had them at seven, which obviously, but anyway, continue on, Mr. Price. So five and seven, the non-con. I had them. Then I had them going eleven and seven in Valley play. That finished them at sixteen and fourteen overall. That still feels. Like a pretty good number to me. That feels right around what they'll do. I think they'll start off the, this conference schedule pretty strong. 
I could see them sweeping all three of those early games. Although, it wouldn't shock me if they dropped one of those. You know, I know those are pretty easy teams in Evansville, Indiana State, and Drake, but feels like one of those could be a loss. Uh, I do think they'll play pretty well against Missouri State and Loyola. I think they probably split those. So we're looking to probably either three and two, four and one, something like that, to start Valley play, but. It's going to get harder in the Valley, and this is a young team that's still finding its way, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I still feel like 16-14, to 14, and to me, uh, I would not be surprised if they're done before the weekend even starts at the, at, the, at the Valley tournament. I know that's a strong statement to say. Friday's not – everyone's, you know, I think back to two years ago. I remember watching that. Indiana State, they went out and laid an egg. Yeah. That was a game that you want to talk about being favored in. That was the year that people thought, you know what, this team can go down there, win this tournament, and finally get back to the NCAA. Yep. But for real, obviously last year they did the same thing. But, I mean, two years ago was – they were like – I watched every second of that game, even though I wasn't even a student yet, but I was watching that game. I remember being home in New York, and I was sitting there watching it, and the, they just looked – they didn't come out and play. And you almost – it was a game where you expected them to go on a run to kind of put the game away. It was like, when are they going to go on this run here, put it away, and, you know, put this – bad game behind them and they just never went on that run. It'll be interesting to see for sure Valley. I have to say, we didn't talk as much about it as I would have liked, but Valley looks really, really good right now. A lot of strong teams at the top of the Valley. Valpo, UPI, U and, not UPI, U and I, uh, and Missouri State and even Loyola all look like there's a really strong upper class of the Valley and I guess we'll find out when the Valley season starts if the Redbirds belong in there. The one thing I'll say is the Valley's going to be two-sided here. You're going to have you know, three, four at the top that just dominate, and then you're going to have the lower half that kind of just, you know, beat each other up all season long and kind of hang around. But the one thing I'm I'm interested to see your take on, because I know we, there's a lot of talk about how Bradley's done. Do you think that – because Bradley's right after that five stretch of games. Is that a game – I mean, that's a game now that the war on I-74 is going to be – it's not going to be a blowout anymore. I think there are going to be some close contests here. I'll, I'll have the call on that one on WZND. I'm very excited about that Ooh. one. That will do it for this edition of the Redbird Report. Uh, it's final season here at Illinois State. Big time. But this is a big report card of the next month for this Illinois State team to find out what they're made out of and who they have and how healthy this team and how good they can be when they're healthy. So a lot we'll find out about the Redbirds in the next five to six weeks. We'll talk to you. Not in the next week. We'll talk to you. It'll probably be all the way. Let me get my calendar out here. About January. You can take a guess. Take a guess. It's January 18th. Uh, it looks like it'll be January 14th, perhaps. It, I, I don't think I'll be here. It might be just Nate and Mike. But looks like that'll probably be our next podcast. If not, it'll be the day of the Bradley game, the 17th. So mm. we'll have some time off until then. Enjoy the holidays, everyone. We'll see what the Redbirds do. That does it for this edition of the Redbird Report. Signing off from the Vidette offices for Mike Marr and Nate Head. I'm Tom Prisman saying thank you so much for listening.